Chapter 8 Winter Battle Far to the east, Franz and the pioneers advanced at a steady pace through Russia into the Ukraine. At first, things had gone well for the German Wehrmacht. By August of 1941, the Soviets had lost 3 million men. In the Ukraine, however, the Germans ran into problems no one had foreseen. Marching day after day through level fields of corn and wheat, they had little by which to measure their progress. As boys, they'd grown up among hills and trees, and they found this flat vastness depressing and disorienting. Morale was very low. And with the coming of fall, rains became more frequent, turning roads into quagmires that were impassable to all but tanks. Nevertheless, the pioneers continued east. They reached Kremenchuk, where Company 699 got separated from the rest of the battalion. For a week they were isolated without provisions of any kind, and the hungry soldiers began muttering about mutiny. One morning, Franz went into the huge fields looking for something to eat. All he could see was corn. Corn was not grown in Germany, and he was unaware that humans could eat it. Gingerly, he broke off an ear and started peeling the husk back. Then he took a tentative bite. The corn was not ripe yet, and the kernels were soft and milky and very sweet. Franz ate his fill. Then he loaded his arms with as many ears as he could carry and walked quickly back to camp. I wonder what they'll think, he asked himself. They're always making fun of my vegetarianism. I have found something to eat, he announced as he strolled into camp. Eagerly, the men came running. When they saw what he carried, their excitement turned to anger. Hassel, you don't expect us to eat that garbage, that's pig food. No, really, said Franz, it tastes very good. Two or three soldiers swore and turned on their heels. Look, man, you're starving, Franz implored. Just give it a try. I'll make a deal with you. If you don't like it, I'll let you spit the kernels in my face. Finally, a hand reached out and took an ear. Wordlessly, the man bit into it, then quickly ate it all the way to the cob and reached out for another. More than anything Franz could say, this convinced the others. Soon the whole company headed for the field and satisfied their hunger. The vegetarian had saved the day. After a few days, they joined up again with the rest of their company, and the crisis was over. Now the rains came in earnest, and it became bitterly cold. In Novomoskovsk, the pioneers had to stay for a month before the roads were dry enough to continue. When they went on, they covered only 50 miles a day. Then in October, snow fell. It soon became apparent that the German summer uniforms and lightweight boots were woefully inadequate in this inhospitable climate. But on and on they pushed. Hassel, come here,' said Sergeant Erich Neuhaus one day. "'Yes, Sergeant. I want to see you in my quarters immediately.' Once there, the sergeant said, Hassel, I notice that you are the only man in our company who has not gotten so much as a scratch or a bruise in this war. The bullets always seem to miss you. I hadn't thought of it that way, but you might be right, replied Franz, wondering where this conversation was going. Sergeant Neuhaus grinned. From now on, you and I will share the same quarters. You are going to be my guardian angel. Yes, sir. Certainly, sir. Franz saluted hand to cap. Sergeant Neuhaus shook his head at Franz's continuing refusal to use the Hitler salute, but from then on Franz and Sergeant Erich shared housing. Franz soon discovered that the two of them were often better off than the Hauptmann himself, since the sergeant had an uncanny knack for discovering comfortable hideouts. It was an arrangement that the two kept for the rest of the war, 
even the nicest quarters however were cold dirty and infested with fleas and lice on a kolkos one night the whole company decided to bed down in a gigantic barn warmed by the bodies of hundreds of cows as they gathered bundles of straw for their beds they noticed that the place was overrun with rats in disgust the men pulled themselves up onto the rafters and laid boards across the beams to provide sleeping platforms they placed their bread bags which contained all their food securely under their heads for protection and went to sleep high above the vermin infested floor next morning they discovered that the rats had scuttled along the rafter beams gnawed holes into the bags and eaten the food from under their very heads not a crumb was left furious the men hunted for the rat holes outside the building arming themselves with sturdy sticks they took their positions whenever they saw a whiskered rat face peering out they struck with all their might in this manner they killed thirty rats in ten minutes they were avenged and could now move on only once in all their journeying did they see a beautiful village checking the map they learned it was hutich the houses while built of mud in the russian rural fashion were covered with white stucco that shone in the sun the streets were clean and free of trash the mud floors were swept and the windows had crisp curtains made of colorful cotton prints what a joy it was to spend even one single night in a place that looked like home the next goal was kramatorsk to the south the temperature dropped steadily there were no forests in this farmland so the soldiers tore down fences and decrepit buildings along their route and carried the wood with them so they could have fires in their quarters at night you'll be staying here for some time they were told you will need to repair a sawmill because several bridges need to be built across the Donet river soon the pioneers were busy doing some of the work they'd been trained for cutting wood and preparing steel trusses thus another christmas arrived how different it was from the rowdy celebrations of previous years on christmas eve the hauptmann conducted a somber church service remembering the many comrades who had already lost their lives afterward there were no festive tables set with spice cakes and wine instead a different surprise awaited the soldiers in the afternoon 12 sacks of mail had arrived now as each soldier received longed for messages from home there was greater happiness in the unit than ever had been at the noisy drunken parties of previous holidays it was the best christmas present for the men quietly they returned to their billets to read their letters and mentally spend christmas eve with loved ones at home franz discovered that a letter from his mother had taken 85 days to reach him and one from helena had taken more than 3 months he himself had written a christmas letter to his family weeks before he got a comrade to decorate it for him with a drawing of the stable in bethlehem complete with a cow a donkey and some sheep above them sparkled a bright golden star he wondered if they had received it new year's eve was also different they huddled together in the community hall and talked for most of the men it was the first time in their lives that they had welcomed the new year without a drop of alcohol soon the conversation turned to politics and their hopes for the future suddenly lieutenant goodchalk said zafiora is my god my trust rests in him sir franz exclaimed without thinking you have a sorry god face red peter goodchalk jumped up what you dared to take the liberty to say something like that franz realized that he had blundered hastily he tried to make amends yes i did say that he said and i'll say it again 
But what I meant was Hitler is a human like you and me. One day he will die like you and me. And when he is dead, she won't have a god anymore. Isn't that sad? Then Franz pointed to a piece of bread on the table. See this bread, Peter? Hitler didn't make the wheat it grew from. Only our creator god can do that. His chin quivering with rage, the lieutenant roared. Hassel, you have gone too far this time. I will see to it that there are repercussions. Suddenly, the hauptman jumped to his feet. With a voice cutting like steel, he said into the silence, Men, this is New Year's Eve. We are having a private conversation. There will be no repercussions. Good night. With that, he turned on his heel and went out. The mood had been broken, and the others also went to their quarters. Franz realized that he had said too much this night. In his room, he took his Bible and reread Amos 5.13. Therefore, the prudent shall keep silence in that time, for it is an evil time. He determined to be more careful in the future. On the surface, things settled down again, but when a few days later Franz passed Kutschok and saw pure hatred in his eyes, he knew that the insult had not been forgotten. In January, there were daily skirmishes with the Soviet troops. During one gun battle, a pioneer seemed to be lightly wounded. By the time the men could carry him to safety, he was dead. In shocked silence, they examined him and discovered that in addition to the shot that grazed his thigh, another bullet had gone into his heart at the same time. The same afternoon, they dug a grave for their comrade and then assembled for the short service the Hauptmann conducted. Within ten minutes, in the bone-chilling cold, the Hauptmann's ears were frozen. The temperature was minus thirty-five degrees Fahrenheit. Back at home, Reichsleiter Goebbels, unable to procure warm uniforms for the Wehrmacht, had launched a campaign to collect winter clothing and women's furs from the German people. The donations, however, were woefully inadequate, and none of them ever reached the pioneers. Resourceful as always, Franz spent the evening after the funeral figuring out how he could protect himself from the cold. He took two socks, cut the feet off, and laid them aside. Then he cut each of the long parts open and stitched them together. Finally, he gathered one end of the wide tube and sewed it together. Now he had a makeshift cap that fit over his ears. In the morning, when he emerged from his billet, the others pointed and laughed. Vegetarian! What crazy idea have you come up with now? You look like a scarecrow. You're a disgrace to the German Wehrmacht. Unperturbed, Franz grinned. Should just go ahead and laugh? At least my ears are warm. In the course of the day, the temperature dropped to minus 45 degrees Fahrenheit. Twenty more men froze their ears. The next morning, every member of Company 699 wore a cap made out of socks. Franz was fortunate that he had an office job. Even though the ice on the window panes of his office was sometimes two inches thick, as long as he was indoors he could keep warm. And when he had errands to run outside he bundled up. He pulled on three pairs of pants, two coats, and two pairs of gloves. On his head he wore two scarecrow caps and topped them with his regulation army hat. Finally he wrapped a scarf around his face so that only his eyes were free. Then he ventured out. When the company had to assemble outside, noses were frozen within three to four minutes. The Germans, unused to such conditions, tried the most logical remedy. They took the men suffering from frostbite indoors and set them next to the hot stove. The rapid warming created greater damage. No, 
said the Ukrainians who saw what was happening. You must first rub the frozen part with snow until it gets glowing hot and tingles. Then you know that the circulation has been restored and the part has been saved. Even so, the pioneers and the rest of the German army suffered heavy losses due to the cold. Fingers, ears, noses, often feet and legs had to be amputated. During the coldest part of the winter, within a period of just two weeks, fully one quarter of the Wehrmacht stationed in the Soviet Union was disabled because of frostbite damage. The brutal temperatures, sometimes dipping to minus 60 degrees Fahrenheit, lasted for many weeks. But while the Germans were almost paralyzed by the cold, it seemed to affect the Red Army very little. Through the month of January, the pioneers were on the receiving end of daily bombings and artillery attacks. Each time there were casualties, soldiers as well as civilians. German planes supplied the pioneers with ammunition and food and flew out the sick and wounded. While they were staying in a basin in the Donetsk area, the plane stopped coming, and Company 699 was cut off from supply lines for a couple of weeks. They had just come through a heavy battle that left them with only one functioning tank and not a single round of ammunition. Surrounded by Russian forces, they resorted to trickery to fool the enemy. They drove the tank up the hillside on the right, steered it along the crest for a little while, then quickly down the valley, changing license plates, up the left side, down, back, front, left again. Twenty-four hours a day they kept it up. Fortunately, the many Ukrainian oil wells kept them well supplied with diesel fuel, and the single tank seemed omnipresent. The Russians, intimidated by this display of military prowess, dared not attack, and eventually airlifted goods came through again. As January turned to February, then March, the temperature slowly warmed, sometimes reaching zero degrees Fahrenheit. Like hibernating animals, the Wehrmacht emerged from their billets where they had holed up for the coldest months. The German advance started up again. Unlike the previous summer and fall, however, the Red Army fiercely fought back. The Germans could no longer parade confidently along, but had to inch their way forward under heavy artillery fire. The pioneers built a bridge over the river Torres, this one made entirely of steel pipes welded together, and continued eastward. Later that spring, all survivors of the winter battle were awarded a medal, however no compensation could make up for the hardships they had endured. In a large village one evening, another unit caught up with them and shared their quarters. The tall men in their distinctive black tailored tunics, with silver skull and crossbones insignia on their visored field caps, belonged to the Schustafel, the SS, Hitler's elite military and police corps. On their arms were blood-red armbands with the black swastika in a white circle. Known for their cruelty and their unquestioning loyalty to Hitler, they inspired fear even back in Germany. Late at night, Franz was torn from sleep by a commotion in the village, running, banging, the crack of splintering wood doors, German voices cursing, the screams of women and children. Finally, it became quiet. He thought he heard gunshots in the distance, but he was not sure. At the end of the food queue the next morning, Franz sought information from Willi Fischer. Willi, did you hear the noise last night? What's going on? Willi glanced furtively around. That was the SS, he whispered, doing their duty. Doing their duty? 
What do you mean? Willy's voice dropped even further. Hitler's final solution. Franz looked at him uncomprehendingly. I don't understand you. Where have you been, man? They are liquidating the Jews. They round them up, take them into the forest, and shoot them like animals. Stunned, Franz simply stared at Willy. Impossible. Franz, just move along, and whatever you do, don't talk about it. Franz picked up his tin plate. I know how you feel, Willy said. I am not supportive of Hitler either, but we are not responsible for what the SS does. We have our duties, and they have theirs. It's on their conscience, not on ours. If you want to save your own neck, Franz, stay out of it. Don't interfere. Willy, I, I just can't stand by, and... Willy leaned over the deck until his face was within inches of Franz's. I know how you are, he hissed furiously. You're going to open your big mouth and get yourself court-martialed. Franz went back to his quarters, deeply troubled by what he had learned. He could not agree with Willy that they had no responsibility in this. If they stood by while murder happened, were they not also guilty of murder? As was his custom, Franz took this dilemma to the Lord. Heavenly Father, he prayed, Please show me how to relate to this situation. What would you have me do? Next day, by the time the pioneers moved on, he had his answer. He understood now why he had not been assigned to the medics. God evidently wanted him to get to the Jews before the SS did. From that time on, whenever his company passed through a village, Franz slipped away and stepped into stores, businesses, and as many houses as he could reach. Since the Ukraine was mostly populated by former Germans who had accepted Catherine the Great's offer to emigrate to Russia and cultivate the land, he could communicate with them easily. He repeated the same message everywhere. The SS is following a day or two behind us. You will recognize them by their black uniforms with skull and crossbones on the caps. When they get here, they will round the Jews up like cattle and murder them. If you are Jewish, take some food and your families and leave right now. Hide in the forest or in the cave, wherever you can find a crack. Go quickly, there is no time to lose. Spread the word, just hurry, hurry, and may God go with you. Many saved their lives because they heeded his warning and disappeared into the countryside. Most of them, however, were more concerned with protecting their property. Holding on to their belongings, they lost their lives. Franz's mysterious village visits hadn't escaped the eyes of his comrades. What business does Hassel have fraternizing with the civilians all the time? They asked suspiciously. No one knew for sure. Only Willy and Carl suspected the truth. They loyally came to the defense of their friend. Leave the guy alone, won't you? They said. You're to be glad he scouts around and buys local goods. Why else do you think his company store is always so well stocked? If he didn't work so hard for you... You wouldn't be able to get fresh eggs and candy and other luxuries. This effectively silenced the men. A few weeks later, the battle forced the pioneers to return to a village they'd left the day before. In the woods, Franz heard German voices shouting and swearing. His curiosity was aroused. Hiding behind the trees, he followed the voices. Soon he came to a clearing honeycombed by trenches Russian soldiers had dug. The SS men were driving Jewish civilians through the woods, men, women, and children, several dozen of them. Horrified, Franz realized that these were the Jews who had not heeded his warning the day before. Silent and barefoot, they walked across the snow. 
When they reached the clearing, the soldiers ordered them to kneel facing the trenches. Then, row after row, they shot them in the back of the neck and let their bodies tumble into the trenches. Last of all came a mother with her six children. Sobbing, the terrified children clung to their mother. Let go of her, the SS men shouted. Brutally, they tore them away, forced them to kneel and shot them in the neck. Franz had seen enough. Stepping out of the trees, he approached the men. How can you do such a thing and shoot these innocent children? The SS men glared at him. Man, where have you been all your life? One snapped. It's the children especially who have to be killed. If they live to grow up, they will become our greatest enemies. Here. He grabbed a shovel. Since you feel so sorry for them, you can at least give them a decent burial. Here. Cover them up. He tossed the shovel at Franz. The others laughed raucously. Still chortling, they jogged away. Franz felt ill. He had to lean against a tree for a while to regain his composure. Finally, he walked over to the trenches and sadly began covering the bodies with dirt. Suddenly, he stopped. He thought he heard a moan coming from one of the holes. Yes, there it was again. He dropped the shovel and peered at the bodies. They were still. Then he noticed a small movement beneath one of the children who had been shot with their mother. He jumped into the trench and gently picked up the bloody body of a little girl. She was dead after all, and he carefully laid her to one side. But underneath her a man was still alive. Mustering all his strength, Franz picked him up and heaved him out of the trench. The man was unconscious but still breathing. A bullet had passed through his head. He didn't seem to have bled much. Maybe he could be saved. Franz hoisted the man onto his back and headed for the village. His plan was to get him quietly to his quarters and bandage him there. As he neared the camp, staggering under his load, he was accosted by an SS man. What are you carrying there? This man is seriously hurt and needs immediate medical attention. The SS man noticed that this was not one of the German soldiers. What in? He screamed. We are killing Jews, not saving them. How dare you interfere? By now, other pioneers had come running out. Among them, Lieutenant Peter Kutschalk. One glance and he understood exactly what had happened. He tore the man off Franz's back. As the man hit the ground, the lieutenant put his gun into the man's mouth and pulled the trigger. Hassel, it's you again, he snarled, trembling with rage. I should have known. I am telling you once and for all that I have had enough of your subversive behavior. It is my goal to see you destroyed. You are no better than the Jewish swine you tried to save. You will not escape me. If I have to, I will search the earth over for you. There is no room in the new world we are building for people like you. And that goes for your two friends also. Open enmity had been declared. Franz wondered if he would lose his life in the war, not by the hand of the enemy, but by one of his own countrymen. This has been a production of Solemn Appeal Ministries. 
all rights reserved. For more information, please visit us at SolemnAppeal.com or call 1-888-449-1452.